Welcome back everyone to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series on Pardon My Jargon, Correcting Our Religious Lingo. Uh, today we're going to begin a two-part, maybe a three-part series on the word salvation. And I subtitle this teaching, Salvation from What? I found something very interesting as I talked to my evangelical friends and when they bring up the topic of salvation, I asked them, what did Yeshua come to save us from? And about half the time, they'll tell me he came to save us from sin. The other half, they'll tell me that he came to save us from hell. And I find this very interesting. And I especially find it interesting that whenever they go to present the gospel message to someone, it's always salvation from hell that is in their minds. So even they, though they may give the correct answer, he came to save us from sin. In their minds, in their hearts, it's salvation from hell that overrides everything else. It's this salvation from hell that eclipses everything else about God in their lives and about the gospel message. And I hope that this is something we can correct. Because if it's salvation from hell that Yeshua came to accomplish then the time between when I give my life to him and embrace him as my savior and the time that I die is really not much for me to do, except I guess to tell other people to embrace the gospel so that they don't have to go to hell either. But the scriptures emphasize something very, very different from this. So the question is, what did Yeshua come to save us from? Well, when we read in Matthew 1.21, we, in our English Bibles, it says, and this is the angel speaking to Joseph before the birth of Yeshua, and it says, She, Mary, will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That doesn't make any sense in English. What does the name Jesus have to do with saving people from their sins? But when we read it in Hebrew, the verse says this, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will Yoshia, his people, from their sins. So the word save is the word Yoshia, and that is where we get the word Yeshua. So Yeshua's name means to save or salvation. So every time we come across the word salvation, as we read through the Tanakh, the Old Testament scriptures, we can think this is a reference to Yeshua, who is our salvation. And we need to quit thinking of salvation as a thing. Salvation is a person. It's our living Savior, Messiah, Yeshua. Now, what did he come to save us from? He came to save us from our sins, from sin itself. Hell is not public enemy, number one. Sin is public enemy, number one. And unfortunately, I know many believers who have accepted the gospel that they were presented and they believe that they're going to heaven when they die instead of to this eternal hell, but they're still enslaved to sin. Now, if Yeshua came to save us from our sins and from the power of sin, that we should be people who are walking in liberty. A saved person is one who walks in freedom. And if you as a believer are not walking in freedom, 
then you need to go back and revisit what Yeshua came to save you from. When you think of salvation, you need to think of this, liberation from bondage, liberation from bondage. You know, John the Immerser, when he saw Yeshua on the, the shore of the river, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sins of the world. He didn't say, behold the Lamb of God who rescues us from hell, but the one who takes away the sins of the world. This is always the emphasis when it comes to the salvation that God gives us through Yeshua. I came across a, a really great little book. It's called uh, Speaking Christian. And it is a book very much about the things I'm talking about in this series about, pardon my jargon, correcting religious lingo. It's called Speaking Christian by Marcus J. Borg, B-O-R-G. And you'll find this information in your notes. And he has this really interesting sentence. He says, whenever Christianity emphasizes the afterlife as the reason for being Christian, the result invariably is a distortion of Christianity. That's a profound statement. And I know in my experience growing up, it was salvation was always centered about around the afterlife. What would happen after I die? I've had people on more than one occasion come knocking at my door to hand me a gospel tract and invariably will ask the question, do you know where you're going when you die? And so uh, there's nothing in the tract about how to live now, how to have victory now over sin. It's all about, do you know where you're going when you die? One man asked the question, he says, does, uh, does believing in an afterlife affect the way you, you live? He says, usually not. It doesn't affect the way you live any more than having an insurance policy affects the way you drive a car. Yeshua came to teach us how to drive the car, to set us free from all the, the, the pain and accidents that we cause by our own sin. Now, don't get me wrong. We still goof up. I know I do. But sin is not the thing that earmarks my life now. The thing that earmarks my life is freedom from sin. And again, I still stumble. I still goof up. I still say the wrong thing or, or maybe lose my temper. But, um, but immediately there's this recognition that, no, this is not who I am. And I bring it back. I'm called to walk in truth and in righteousness. And uh, so a sinner is not, I should say, uh, a person who sins when they, they fall, they have an accident, should not be called a sinner because sin is not their practice. Sin is the exception to the, how they live. And Solomon writes that a righteous man will fall seven times, but he gets back up seven times. So, always think liberation from bondage. There are other applications to salvation. Sometimes it can be rescue from a, a dangerous encounter. It can be a rescue from various things. But the overarching idea behind the word salvation in Scripture is liberation from bondage. Yeshua came to save us from the bondage of sin. 
And if you read your apostolic scriptures in this light, you'll be amazed at how much they speak of this and how little they speak about salvation from hell. I don't think it even refers to salvation from hell, but that's another topic. We will be talking about hell in a future episode or two. But look at Galatians 5.1. Paul writes, For freedom, for freedom, Messiah has set us free. Okay? What did he set us free for? For freedom, to live as free people. That means when you encounter the gospel and truly embrace it, your life should change immediately. Because you realize I'm not in bondage to sin anymore. I don't have to live the way I've been living. I can walk in a newness of life. And we begin to experience the kingdom of God instantaneously. We don't have to wait till we die to begin to experience a close walk with God and life in his kingdom. But he goes on. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, in Romans, and especially in chapter 6, and all these quotes from Romans will be from chapter 6, is all about this freedom from slavery that is ours through the good news of Yeshua, our Messiah and Savior. We're just going to look at a few verses, but they will be enough to, to uh, open your eyes to the, the theme, the real theme of what Paul has to say about salvation. In Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old self is crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to what? To sin. Verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. In other words, you got to serve somebody like the old Bob Dylan song says. So is it going to be the devil or is it going to be the Lord? Who are you going to serve? We were designed to serve. You're going to serve something. So choose well who you want for a master. And I know that, that God our Messiah, with the great chesed, the great loving kindness that our God has for us, that uh, I want him for my master because he understands me. And he's very gracious, very patient, and he's uh, long-suffering, and he's a gentle shepherd. And continuing on, verse 17, but thanks be to God that through, that though you were slaves of sin, you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. No longer slaves to sin. Verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Again, liberation from sin. This is what Messiah came to accomplish in each one of our lives. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You are slaves to sin, and so producing truly righteous things in your life is almost impossible. But you're no longer a slave to sin. And now righteousness is something that fits well. It's something that just agrees with 
who we are in Messiah. And being righteous people should come more and more naturally to us. We need to learn to walk in the freedom we have. Now, if you go back to the story of the book of Numbers and the Israelites' experience in the wilderness over those 40 years, though they had been freed from the slavery of Egypt, there was an internal slavery still going on. Though God had dealt with Pharaoh and Pharaoh was done with, there was an internal Pharaoh that it took 40 years to exercise from their lives. And so many times it's easy to slip back into the old ruts, the old habits, the old way of doing things, the old way of thinking. And it takes time to learn how to walk in this amazing, this wonderful liberation that is ours through Yeshua. In Hebrews, the writer says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Yeshua, himself likewise partook of the same things. He partook in flesh and blood. He became a human being. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the might of death. Now, in most translations, this is the power of death. And the English word power is usually backed up by the Greek word exousia, which means authority. That is not what the devil has. He does not have the authority of death. What he does is he takes the might of death, the damage that death does, and that's what he wants to use. Our times are in God's hands. He's the one who gives life, and he's the one who also uh, brings to death, not the devil. So he takes the might of death, the reality of death, and uses that to, to enslave us. So let me back up a bit. Uh, that he might destroy the one who has the might of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. So here we see the writer of Hebrews. So we don't know who he was. But he also is emphasizing the fact that Yeshua came, partook of flesh and blood, that he might destroy the one who had the might of death, and to set us free, to liberate us. Now, last time we talked about the word redemption, and we cited the story of Ruth. And if you want to understand the word redemption, the book of Ruth is the one you need to read and, and really meditate on and, and, and pick apart and understand. But redemption and salvation are not the same thing. There are some similarities, but they are different things. Therefore, we have different words. Salvation, to understand salvation we must understand the story of Passover as it's found in Exodus. And remember that Yeshua was crucified on the day of Passover. So what was accomplished by him is pictured in the story in Exodus. We must understand the two together. They make a menorah pattern. So to understand salvation, we need to really fill our minds with the pictures and the images we find in the book of Exodus and the first 12 to 15 chapters, about the first 15 chapters. And we find there that the entire story of salvation as pictured there is liberation from slavery. Liberation from slavery. So redemption, we look at the story of Ruth. Salvation, we look at the story of Passover. Now, in the book of Ruth, we find that when she was redeemed by her kinsman redeemer, Boaz, 
there were two things that were redeemed. He redeemed the bride, that would be Ruth, and he also redeemed the field, and that was the property that belonged to Ruth's uh, dead husband. And so that also had to be redeemed, had to be repurchased and, and brought back so that Boaz became the one who owned both. He had the bride and he had the land. When Yeshua brings redemption and when he brings salvation and liberation, he also brings liberation to both of these. We are the bride and the field, the land, is the world. And this is also pictured going back to Romans, to chapter 8. And this is what we read, verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Who are the children of God? The bride. What is creation? That's the field. Yeshua came to redeem both, to bring salvation and liberation to both. And someday, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to corruption. In physics, we call this corruption entropy. It's the, the, the law of physics that everything tends to wind down. The only thing that is opposed to entropy is life. Life tends to wind up. And we have come to accept corruption as just a law of the universe. Well, if it's a law of the universe, it's a temporary one. It started when Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned in the Garden of Eden. And it will be reversed when Yeshua comes and brings the new heavens and new earth. And there will no longer be entropy. Things will continue to grow, become more fruitful, more beautiful, more alive. Entropy will be a law of the past. So through Messiah, he brings liberation to us and he brings liberation to the field. Just like Boaz redeemed both Ruth and the field, Yeshua comes to redeem his bride and the world. Now, in our next episode, as we continue with our discussion of salvation, we're going to be looking at the process of salvation. People often ask me, well, Grant, when were you saved? And I always answer, about 2,000 years ago. And I'll explain what that answer means. It's not an attempt to be flip or to be humorous, but, but it's really very, very true. But salvation is a process. And as we read about the Israelites being freed from Egypt, we see that there was a process they went through. It took 40 years for them to truly become free of all the vestiges of Pharaoh and of Egyptian slavery. And in our lives, there is a time of growing and maturing and learning to walk in liberty. So we'll be looking at that next time. So until then, I wish you shalom and may you walk in the freedom that we have in Messiah.